0: Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on?
1: I am I'm doing well, Bill. This is we were just talking. This is the first time you and I have have chatted, at least in this media, for several months. I think it was a preview, season preview, and here Might we be. are, postseason,
0: end of the regular season, and finally get to see your your lovely face again. Uh you you flatter me. Uh Matt, you, I, I, I think you know why, why I am in a good mood, but it's a unique reason uh, to my current living situation and the living situation that you had for the first 18 years of your life. And that is that I got to experience one of the world's greatest joys, something I recommend everyone experiences at least once in their life before uh, they go to meet their maker. And that is I got to listen to Columbus Sports Talk Radio today in the aftermath of Michigan State just kicking Ohio State, uh, Michigan, apologies, just kicking Ohio State's teeth in. It truly is one of the funniest things I've ever gotten a chance to experience.
1: It's, um, I I know I've told you this before and you haven't lived in Columbus that long, relatively speaking, but the, the week following an Ohio State loss Regardless of who it's against, is one of the more enjoyable experiences of one's life. If you're not an Ohio State fan, and I was telling you earlier today that I think two of my favorite weeks of my life, um, because I was still living in Columbus after I graduated, were after the '05 game and then the 2008 game um, when when Penn State won. But and obviously you and I are not Michigan fans, but. The the vitriol and hatred that Ohio State fans have for them and their desire 365 days a year to beat the brains out of Michigan is is so strong that when it doesn't happen, and now it hasn't happened for two straight – they haven't beat them now technically since 2019 because they didn't have the, the, the game in 2020 when yeah. Michigan uh, backed out with, with the COVID test and whatnot. So they have not experienced that joy in three years now, and I think you can probably attest this better than I can. Living there now, they really thought this was the year. They thought that you know last was the aberration. It was in Ann Arbor it was the yeah. bad weather. Michigan had Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson, but they were going to get him this year. You know they couldn't match up with the passing game. They couldn't slow down that that elite Ohio State offense. And as you said, they just got their teeth kicked in, and it was. I, I watched the game with some, some Michigan fan family. Um, and, and I, I don't have a huge or interest in the game. And you we can make a case either one way or the other, whatever benefits Penn state more, you know, an Ohio state winner or a Michigan win. But the, the enjoyment that my family sitting on my couch, got watching that game kind of, kind of rubbed off on me a little bit. And I was getting into it there, especially late when Edwards <laughs> broke the two long runs that that put the game away. And then just knowing what it was like back in Columbus. I got a text from my mom today who still lives in Ohio and is a Michigan fan. Something to the effect of I am loving listening to sports talk radio so much
0: right now. <laughs> oh, dude. It was it was a it was a blessing. It was actually funny because that exact thing you said about this being, you know, last year being an aberration, and then the stuff that you listed. Were verbatim things that I heard listed on Columbus Sports Talk Radio today about the weather, about it being in Columbus, about uh, literally about Ojabo and Hutchinson not being all of these things verbatim got listed. It was Beautiful. It was hilarious. Um, I don't think any Michigan fans listen to the podcast, but if you do, like, I, I spend the next 364 days stunning because you absolutely believe this, and I think you are probably going to beat up on Ohio State again next season. But that's for another podcast. We are here to talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions. Penn State finished up their regular season with a 35 to 16 win over Michigan State to move to 10 and two on the year. Really great win for Penn State, but before we get into talking about the game, Matt, there was some huge, huge, huge news uh, in the Penn State Twitterverse today, and that is that Penn State is going to have its starting left tackle Olu Fashanu back next season. Fashanu, a potential top 10 pick in the 2023 NFL draft. There were a couple of reports that came out that said he was going to return to Happy Valley. And then today he put out a statement saying for the last three years, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to be around a group of extremely hardworking individuals. Everyone in this program has pushed me to become a better football player. And more importantly, a better man having the opportunity to play in Beaver stadium in front of the best fans in the world this past year has been great. And I will never forget the moments that were created with this this team this season. You would expect the next words to be, I'm forgoing my eligibility and going to the NFL draft with how that's uh, paragraph sent that up. And instead, he wrote, although playing in the NFL is a goal of mine, there is still more that I want to achieve personally and collectively as a program. After several conversations with my parents and coaches, I will be returning to Penn State for the 2023 season. I want to thank my family, teammates, and coaches who have helped me get to this point in my life. My work here is far from over, and I look forward to getting back to work with my brothers. Matt, I, I-, I think you were probably like me where... You, you know, we had, we had all heard all the stuff, you know, this kid's wired a little bit different. His priorities are a little bit different, all these sorts of things, but it was really hard to imagine anyone, no matter how noble your priorities are turning down, going and being potentially a top 10, top five pick in an NFL draft. And yet here we are, he's doing exactly have to come back to Penn state next season. It feels, um,
1: it feels like like unexpected good news in a way um, because like you said, you know, guys just don't turn down that opportunity, that amount of money um, rightfully so. Um, yeah. And um, if you, if you aren't a subscriber, go check out on three and subscribe and check out what Sean Fitz had to say about kind of this whole process and how James Franklin, and the coaching staff worked through it with them. Cause it's really, I think really enlightening in as far as, James Franklin's priorities um in a very very positive way and what Olufashanu and his family's priorities are again in a very positive way. But like you said, we've there's been this this undercurrent of we think he's gonna be back, that's kind of you know what his family would like him to do. He's still only 19, he wouldn't be he'd be just 20 years old um as a rookie in the NFL. That'd be a kind of a weird dynamic, you know, with, with these grown men and all that sort of thing. But you just don't expect the guy to turn down I don't know what top ten money is in the NFL, but twenty million dollars, thirty million dollars guaranteed money, life changing money, generational money um because of the risk of that coming back is there and that's still there, obviously um, but it was one of those I don't think I don't think you or I really expected it to come out at this point, you know, right the season ended you know less than forty eight hours ago, really. And you know he's already signing back up. He obviously hasn't played for about a month um, since the Ohio State game. Um, but I, I love what this says about um, you know Olu and his family as as people. You know yeah. you know their priorities of you know finish your education, um, get that degree, make sure you're set for life, regardless of what happens on the football field. Um, but I think from a very football centric perspective, it's a huge testament to. I think where the program is right now, the way it's been rebuilt over the last couple of years, the culture that's there, the, the leadership within the program, both from a coaching and, and player perspective, that a guy with all that going for him wants to be back, sees sees wh- what's on the horizon, sees the uh, potential that the next, next year's team has, and wants to be a part of it. And I think hopefully this is a, a sign of... um you know, health of the program, what the players feel about you know the opportunities that are there for them. I think, from a very practical standpoint, I think it's a, probably a testament to the NIL opportunities that are there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like it or not, that's here to stay, and it's you know I'm sure a factor in guys like Olu and players that are of that caliber considering coming back and and turning down the, that those multi million dollar contracts. And I think I hope that it has. Um, everyone has to make their own decision, but I hope it's, um, a positive sign for guys like Curtis Jacobs or Parker Washington who have their own decisions to make, um, that they see a guy like this, um, coming back for another go with it, um, because they see, like I said, that potential that, that 2023 football team has.
0: Yeah. I mean, looking at, uh, last year's, uh, contract values for NFL top NFL draft picks so for, for, for contract. The number 10 pick in last year's draft, Garrett Wilson, uh, out of Ohio State, went to the Jets, made, got a four-year deal worth $22.6 million. Uh, Fashanu got as high as number five on Dane Brugler of the Athletics Big Board. Number five pick le- this past year, Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau to the Giants, a four-year, $34.7 He's turning down life-changing money. Not just life-changing for him, but life-changing for his family his friends, his whomever in that is going to need help and support from Olufushanu over the years. And, you know, there's there's an inherent risk to that. Matt, you and I have been football fans long enough. We remember Matt Barkley was supposed to be uh, a surefire number one overall NFL draft pick, goes back to Ohio, uh, goes back to USC, gets hurt, goes in the fourth round, and has just been an NFL journeyman ever. carved out a nice career, but NFL journeyman ever since. It is not easy to turn this down. And like you mentioned, we, we don't know for sure how NIL would factor into this. Obviously, we can make our assumptions. We'll probably assume there's something going on there, something very legal going on there, worth mentioning. But it's a testament to Fashanu, his priorities, the things that he cares about. I, in an interview with Pete Thamel of ESPN, he said that part of the reason he's doing this is because he wants to help specifically wants to help Penn State compete for a Big Ten and national championship next year. It takes a really special caliber of person to want to focus on that. It says a lot about his, uh, his family and the people around him who have established that your education is important. He's going to be graduating, you know, he, he's going to be graduating with a degree in supply chain management. That is not an easy thing to do. And yet he has decided he is going to put off the NFL for a year in order to do that. And it's a testament to James Franklin and Phil Trout line, Mike Yuricic, you know, the rest of the offensive line, that it is more important to Olu Fashanu to be part of something special at Penn State and be part of a Penn State team that, you know, all of a sudden, if Drew Aller is the chosen one, we're talking about next year's Penn State team is potentially competing for a national championship. And it speaks to so many different people that we are now finding a program in that position. And one of the single biggest question marks that we had going into next year was who's going to be lining up at left tackle. Is it going to be Drew Shelton, a nice player, a really promising player, but a guy who, as we saw this week against Michigan State, still has some work that needs to be done? Or is it going to be the guy who, in his nine starts as a college football player, is already having people wondering, boy, can this guy be a top 10, a top five NFL draft pick? So like, I could not be more excited about what this means for Penn State. You and I, uh, we've talked about this amongst ourselves, Matt, but you go through the list of other guys who have decisions to make. Who knows what this means for a guy like Juice Scruggs and whether or not he wants to come back and he wants to use his extra year of eligibility. Who knows if a guy like Parker Washington, who I think is going to be a good NFL player, but I don't think can... I, don't, I think he could help his stock a little by coming back. I don't think it, he can hurt himself at all by coming back uh, other than, you know, getting some kind of injury and, you know, not, I'm not going to knock on wood because my dog's here and he'd start barking at me. Maybe there's an NIL deal. Maybe there's some other way to convince him, Hey, come back for another year. Maybe that works for a guy like Brenton stranger. Like you said, a Curtis Jacobs or, uh, you know, Adisa Isaac could technically go to the NFL. Maybe he doesn't after this past year. So, it's hard, Matt, not to start looking at the rest of the team and what it could mean for guys who have decisions to make after the guy with the biggest decision to make one, two days after the regular season, ended, said, I'm going back to Penn State.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, um, you, you see it with the, these teams that start the year with that hype. Um, I, I go back to Clemson a couple years ago after Christian Wilkins decided that he was coming back. Um, Ohio State a couple years ago when Chris Olave decided he was coming back. Um, guys that are are surefire top, you know, first round NFL draft picks, if not top ten, top five NFL draft picks, that have you know huge dollar signs in front of them that want to get that first NFL contract because you get your second one sooner that way. Um, see what that roster looks like as far as the talent that's coming back. And Penn State just quite frankly, hasn't really had a lot of that. They've had it with Jaquan Brisker a couple years ago, j R. Brown last year, um a little bit here and there. Um, but you th- think about this year's team with Brandon Smith on it, or think about this year's team with um, you know there some of the guys that that opted to forego an extra year does does that put them over the top this year maybe in one of those games against Ohio State mm-hmm. for example um i i think this i don't want to harp on it too much but i think it's it's such a testament to where the program is especially when you look about look at where we thought the program was 3 months ago with all the questions that we had is this a 7 win team is this a 10 win team yes you know what's james franklin's you know shelf life at penn state so much of that has been answered this year and i think looking at kind of the anecdotal evidence of what, you know, kind of James Franklin's personality and, and, and you see the way he just, you know, his energy level and his, his level of humor and things like that Um, the energy on the sidelines during games Um, this, this feels a lot more like a Penn state team that we remember from pre COVID if you will Mm -hmm. um, as far as just the the fun they're having and the, the camaraderie between the, the players on the team. Um, it's a program that guys want to be a part of the guys that let see what's going on, want to, want to enjoy as much of it as they can. Jair Brown, um, uh, over the last week or 10 days leading into his final game, um, at Beaver stadium last weekend. Um, I think is a, a testament to that. He's, you know, said something to the effect of wanting to soak in every, every last minute because he's just enjoyed being a part of the Penn state football program for the last several years. Um, you saw it, we see it with Olu. You, you're seeing it with, um, with the recruits that are coming in. Um, certainly you're going to hear about it from guys that come in uh, via the transfer portal over the next month or two. Um, I, I, I don't want to get too big picture because it, it is just one guy making a decision that's, that's what's right for him. But it's, if the program isn't where it is right now, then it's probably an easy decision for a guy like Olu Fashano to, to make the other way. Yes. The, 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 the educational side of it is the, the age factor is still mm-hmm. there, but maybe you look, look past some of those things because, well, I don't want to transfer and I just don't think that what I'm coming back to is the right place for me. So you, you, you move on to the NFL. Um, like I said earlier, you see places like Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, you know, these, these elite teams, Georgia year after year, have guys that, that turn down that NFL opportunity because of,
0: of what they're coming back to with, with their own football team. And, and, and and if I can, if I can interrupt you, Matt, they're turning down that opportunity because they see, you know, I can go back, I can go to the NFL right now and be a late first round, early second round pick, or I could come back, put on a show in my final year and go be a top 10 pick and Penn state in, you know, Fashanu seemed like he was trending in that direction anyway. So he's a little bit different, but it makes you hope, Hope and wonder that hey, again maybe a guy like Curtis Jacobs can do that. Maybe a guy like Juice Scruggs can improve his stock by a round or two. Maybe a guy like Parker Washington can improve his stock by a round or two. Like this is, this is something that it's very easy to just say kids are going to jump and take the money, but it's something that it's a decision for a lot of these kids. And you know I'm an advocate of go get paid as soon as you possibly can. But if you see an opportunity to make more money by coming back for one year, God bless you. I am happy to have you in Happy Valley.
1: Well, I think one one last thought is we mentioned um, Jaquan Brisker. P.J. Mustapher is a guy who did, Jahan Dodson did it a couple of years ago. I think seeing what those guys have done, you know, Jahan Dodson turned him into a, turned himself into a first-round draft pick by Washington. Jaquan Brisker played his way into a second-round draft pick. The Mustapher situation is obviously a little bit different with his injury recovery, but they've seen – what the Penn state program can do for guys that are, um, borderline picks for lack of a better term that, you know, the, the money as a fourth rounder is not nearly as good as the money as a second rounder. And I can come back to this place, work with this group of coaches, trainers, my, my fellow players and get better and ultimately make myself more money, um, and, and improve my, my, my value to the NFL this is a place I can do that. And that, that certainly has played a part in it too. So I think those guys that have done this before, um, surely deserve some credit as well,
0: because they, they saw that that same opportunity and took advantage of it. And we'll surely talk about Fashanu and everyone else who has big decisions to make this off season. Uh, we need off season content. That's a really good source of it. So we will get to the rest of those guys in a bit, but we're going to talk, uh, Talk now about Penn State's win over Michigan State. Again, 35-16 Nittany Lions win at home, bringing the land-grant trophy back to Happy Valley to move to 10-2 on the season. Uh, Matt, before we get into anything else about the game, uh, you are our uh, resident Michigan State correspondent. Uh, One question I have. James Franklin and all of his players this week seemed like they were viewing and talking about the land grant trophy like it was the funniest goddamn thing on the planet what was in just your noticing of stuff by nature of uh living uh with a spartan uh did you notice mel tucker michigan state's players also had seeming uh similarly um upbeat jovial you know having fun with the entire thing
1: Not a whole lot about the Michigan Mm. state football program has been jovial this year. So that's, that's point number one. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's funny you ask because, um, text thread with friends of friends of ours, um, who are Penn state alums with uh, my wife and I, who, as you mentioned, is a Michigan state fan, um, asked the same question. And I think part of it is they've got the Paul Bunyan trophy they play for against Michigan. Um, and I don't know if it's maybe just the the lunacy that is Penn State social media and Penn State Twitter specifically that that makes us more infatuated with this. I don't know if there's you know Michigan State Twitter is out there you know making the same jokes about it yeah but i I think our unique brand of lunacy on on Twitter and, and online is one reason why the 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 land grant trophy has kind of taken on this this personality unto itself. Um, but no, I I don't I mean I I don't get into the weeds with you know the Michigan State websites and, and message boards and things like that. Um, but in the the more mainstream media, if you will, there there isn't really this year any really any year, not a whole lot of talk about it. Um, and I even think of um, Audrey Stenner, Nick, and I talked about this last week. Audrey Stenner wrote an article about the the origins of the Land Grant Trophy and and the trophy shop in East Lansing that that constructed this monstrosity um 30 some years ago for George Perlis the head coach at Michigan State when Penn State joined the league um so you even have you know you know beat writers that are that are chasing us down from the Penn State side of things I just don't see that with Michigan State and I don't know if it's the like I said the the Paul Bunyan trophy factor with Michigan um and and like I said, it's not unique to this season either. This isn't a a matter of it's been a, a rough season in East Lansing and they just, you know, are aren't having as much fun as we certainly have had this year. Um, I just don't think it
0: registers for one reason or another the way it does does with Penn State fans. Yeah, I, I mean I'm not I sh I, 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 I do not mean this is an insult, but like you can definitely see how the approach is that both schools, both groups of players take to it seems to be a reflection of each school's head coach like Mel Tucker you know I'm not again I'm not saying this is wrong I'm not saying this right but he's a big time hard ass and he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who uh jokes (laughs) about a ton of stuff meanwhile James Franklin uh you know Penn State put out that graphic uh on let's see sunday tuesday or wednesday maybe tuesday tuesday last week where they had sean clifford Jair brown james franklin and J- jonathan sutherland all give five star reviews of the land grant trophy so like i i it, it was just interesting to me because like you mentioned this has been a really tough year for michigan state i mean you and i were talking before we started the podcast about how like i think michigan state really sucks this year they're 67th sp plus after this game uh and I We saw that on the field, I thought, Matt. As we were watching this game, it felt like the only way Michigan State had any chance to win it was just total nonsense because Penn State outgamed them by a ton. They ran uh, passing yards. Penn State outgamed them by 31. Rushing yards, 160 to 25 for Penn State turnovers Michigan th- State had three Penn State had zero Penn State controlled the time of possession was way better through, blah 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 but it felt like the only way that Michigan State had any chance to win this game was if just some total nonsense happened was there any moment in this game where you were worried about Michigan State being able to pull off the upset
1: the the drive where Penn or Michigan State cut it to 21-16 because as you said for Michigan State to win the game some some weird stuff had to happen and that was the drive of weird stuff. Um, there was the third and eighteen conversion, which was actually a great throw by Thorn. Um, you know, you, yeah. you see, Nick and I talked about this last week the the up and down nature of Peyton Thorne. Um, and then on that same drive, I think it was another third down where Penn State got pressure on him right away, and he just threw up a prayer that somehow got completed. It was one of those, "Oh yeah. God, here we go." And I think Keon Coleman and J- Jaden Reed made a couple big time catches on that same drive too not on the same type of throw-it-and-hope kind of plays that I'm talking about that I think everyone remembers, but just well-defended plays where the receiver you know was just better. Um, I thought, and, and I, you could sense through social media, and I'm sure those of you that text with friends during the game, you know, we're all kind of sensing the same sort of angst. It's 21-16. Michigan State had, had driven 75 and 70 yards on consecutive drives to cut it to the one-score game. Penn State gets the ball back. Hadn't really done a whole lot on offense at that point um, in the in the second half, short of the touchdown off of the fumbled um, the punt, the fumble on the punt return by Jaden Reed. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's kind of a credit to, and we're going to talk about this more, I'm sure, Sean Clifford and just the he's been there and done everything at this point. He there's not a thing in college football he hasn't seen. And I think you felt kind of the, the calmness that they, you know, we've got this and it even when they got stopped on that third and short, um, out of the T and they zero hesitation to, to go for it right away. Um, the audible to the play where Nick Singleton scores, um, it just, it never, I was, I was a little bit of, of anxiety, you know, just because it's a close game. And, and I think we all said some version of, Oh God, here we go again. We've seen this movie before with Michigan state, Penn state. Um, but it, I don't think I ever felt like they're going to lose this game, but I think that, that was kind of it's stating the obvious here was, was obviously the key moment in the game, but there was no – I didn't feel any panic from Penn State. They hadn't done anything on offense in the second half, but they went right out there and, and went right down the field in 11 plays and 75 yards, eight ups over six minutes. Um, you know, no hesitation to go for it on, on fourth down. I'm sure Jake Pinninger struggles in the first half played a part of that. But, um, I, I think it's, you know, kind of the way each team season has gone, you know, Penn state mm-hmm. has other than these, those two games, um, against the, the best two teams they're going to play in the best two teams. And a lot of teams were going to play this year. Um, they found a way they, you know, made, made the play plays they needed to make an offense. They came back, they forced another prayer by Peyton Thornton that uh, Kalen King picked off, and they kind of flipped the game in the matter of, you know, a half dozen plays or more um, between the end of that scoring drive, the interception, and then go, um, the the long touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, Michigan State was basically doing the thing where they were chucking up prayers and just coming down with them somehow. I mean, it's something that... Uh, Watching it happen, you can't help but think about all the times—not just to Penn State, but other teams. It seems like Michigan State will just do this too, and it sucked. Uh, it really sucked. But hey, it—it uh, it, it made for a good football game. Like you mentioned, it was that really that one drive that had me—you know—to make it twenty-one to sixteen. Uh, have the drive chart. Up. Where the hell did I put that? Right here. They made it twenty-one sixteen with a touchdown with ten fifty-two left. Uh, In the fourth quarter, Uh, Penn State comes out right after that. And that was uh, the drive that ended with uh, Sean Clifford and Nick Singleton. They uh, motioned out of the T formation and scored a touchdown. So we'll do what we normally do, look at both sides of the football uh, and start with Penn State's defense. Uh, Michigan State gained, as I said, 254 yards total offense, 4 for 14 on third downs, 229 passing yards, 5.2 yards per attempt, 25 rushing yards on 25 attempts, three turnovers. I'm mad at this point. Like, I don't know what there is to say about Penn State's defense. This has just been, you know, I'm not going to go out and say this is the best defense Penn State has had in my time liking the team. That would be an inaccurate statement. But when this defense is on and this defense is cooking, even against an offense like Michigan State that I don't think is particularly good, they are capable of playing some of the most fun, devastating, destructive football of any team in the country.
1: Yeah, I, I think and I, I'm not going to do this, the, this, the best defense I've ever seen. I think it's the most entertaining defense I've seen from Penn State in the 20 some years I've followed the program since I enrolled all those years ago. Um, just the it's it's so much more aggressive. It's so much more um, athletic from top to bottom. Than some some really really good defenses that we all remember over the years. Um, statistically, it might not be as good, but I, like I said, I think it's the most entertaining because you've got you know guys like Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs, um, you know, attacking, taking advantage of that that elite athleticism they have. Seeing guys like Joey Porter and Kalen King one on one making plays, um, it's it's fun to watch, creating chaos. And I'm I'm looking at the stats here, and they gave up 229 yards of p- passing, but I think that that undersells how good they were. Um, yeah. like we said earlier, they, there was some just, you know, fluke plays, you know, a, a couple of fluke plays and a couple of really good plays where, um, you know, th- their guy just made a play. Nick and I talked about it on the preview last week that Michigan state's advantage on or, or strength on offense is their, their receivers, Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed. And they, they showed that they're two really good players. Jaden Reed's going to be a good NFL player. He just announced yesterday that he's, he's foregoing his last year. um, only 25 yards rushing. Um, I I don't remember. I'd have to look at the the individual, the stats here by players, but Elijah Collins apparently had an 11 yard run. I don't remember that. I don't remember Michigan state doing anything remotely dangerous on the ground. Um, Jalen Berger had seven carries for 14 yards. Five five of those came on one carry. Um, They they were just, I, I think the, the, the nature of the Manny Diaz defense, as we've talked about since he was hired, is they're going to give up the big play. And we've, we've seen that all year. Um, but they forced three more turnovers. They probably could have had a couple more based on some of the, the passes that Thorne threw up that um, you know, he was very lucky to get away with. Um, but it's, it's it's been enjoyable, especially the last month of the season here, where it's almost like the light bulb went on and they they finally – Stop thinking about okay you know this in this system this is what i do this went out there and played and you know obviously these players are athletically fast that you know they they're, they're fast runners but they cut out that that thought process they cut out that half second hesitation where they had to think about okay this is what i do when this happens and and you saw the benefits of that and I, i'm i'm very excited you know this you know to get a little big picture here about what this means going forward. Cause I think um, barring some unforeseen job off for Manny Diaz is going to be back next year. A lot of the key cogs in this defense are going to be back next year and they're going to be adding to it with transfers and, and recruits and guys that redshirted this year. Um, I'm really, really excited about what we see in year two because that learning curve is gone for the bulk of the guys are going to play. Um, and, and, you know, see what Abdul Carter does, you know, <laughs> it's it's cliche but the guy's only a freshman and the plays he's making and i think it's probably not an understatement to say that he probably doesn't have a whole lot of idea what he's doing necessarily he's just that gifted athletically that he can he can do some of the stuff he's doing just think about what he does with another year in the the strength and conditioning program another year of experience just playing linebacker at the collegiate level um and the guys are going to add to it you know god i hope curtis jacobs comes back from a selfish standpoint because of what a guy what a guy like he can what he can do in in year 2 in a system like this
0: yeah i mean kaylen king had five passes defended a tackle for a loss and a pick but he, he's Kalen king has a case for being an all-american cornerback this season and he has to come back next season i mean the entire penn state defense you know jair brown losing him is going to really suck P, losing pj musters is going to suck Jonathan Southern was a guy I think they're going to be able to replace, but you could tell that he just has like a really good pulse of this team. And then otherwise you're looking at this defense and it's bringing just about everybody back or is going to have an opportunity to bring just about everybody back. But in this game specifically, like you mentioned, like Michigan state did nothing on the ground. This was one of the best performances we have seen uh, by Penn state's rushing defense. Uh, Again, 25 yards, 25 carries, one touchdown. It was just that one little keeper by Peyton Thorne on that. Like Thorne ran it in for two yards or whatever, but otherwise like they just could not get anything. It was all about their passing game. I thought Penn state secondary played a fantastic game and how many times over the years have we seen 50, 50 get balls get thrown up in a Michigan state game and Michigan state receivers turn them into 70, 30 balls. Like I, I, I I can't be that upset by just about anything that happened in this effort. You look at when they allowed points, they allowed a touchdown in each of the second uh, each quarter in the second half. Uh, both were on pretty long drives where they couldn't get off the field. And that was basically just because Michigan state players kept making plays. So I'm ha Like I was very excited with this effort by Penn state's defense. I don't really know if there's too terribly much, um, I don't know if there's too terribly much else that we can say that we haven't said all season. Cause that's just what they've done. So let's move to the offensive side of the football where was not a gross day. Well, it wasn't a great day. It was a pretty um, unsettling day, or at least it seemed like that, Matt, I, when you look, when I read off these stats for the offense, 50% of their third downs completed 410 yards of total offense, 10 yards per attempt through the air, 3.5, yards per rush. I think the for the running backs, that number is pro, a little bit closer to like 4.2 or 4.3, something like that, and no turnovers. It didn't feel like they had that emphatic of a day. It felt like they were in the mud a little bit. At least that's how I felt about it. What about you? Yeah, it felt, it felt like a 4 o'clock
1: game with a stadium that was probably about two-thirds to three-quarters full, against the team that wasn't probably fully invested, um, but did some things that I think caused them some trouble, especially with, you know, Drew Shelton starting at at left tackle in what his third or fourth career start as a true freshman. Um, Hunter Norris out is clearly not a hundred percent. Slim Warmly is I think clearly not a hundred percent. It's a banged up offensive line. Um, both in terms of guys who are out, like Olu obviously, and the guys who were in there and, and gutted through it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the stats here. They gave up three sacks, they eight tackles for loss. Um Michigan State, I think, was very aggressive in selling out to stop the run. Agreed. And and with Art Parker Washington, Penn State hasn't really found their way in the passing game. Really. <laughs> until that drive where they, they put it back to a, a, a two score lead at 28, 16. And um, I think a lot of credit goes to a guy like Keandre Lambert Smith, who James Franklin called out after the game and said that, you know, it's, it's never been a question of talent. It's just the, the consistency and not letting one mistake, whether it's a drop pass or a missed route or a missed block affecting the next snap, affecting the next series. And Certainly the most complete game we've seen from Keandre Lambert Smith, not even counting the touchdown pass he threw to his roommate, Theo yeah. Johnson. Um, but it felt like they kind of figured out how this offense works without Parker Washington in the second half a little bit. Um, and hopefully that's a good sign, not just for the bowl game, but I think going forward in next year, um, because we don't know yet if Parker Washington is going to be back. Um, but I think, like I said, a guy like Keandre Lambert Smith, who the, the, the talent has never been the question it's just that consistency if a guy like him takes that next step and can can become that 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 number one type receiver then that takes this offense to a whole nother level if a guy like um uh you know Mitchell uh, uh Harrison Wallace who only had the one catch but there there's all these guys that have a really big offseason at wide receiver for Penn State if they can figure that out, whether it's it's those two guys or, or Caden Saunders or um, Amari Evans, some of these guys that that are, are younger guys that don't have a lot of experience that can take that next step, then this offense goes to the next level. Um, and you saw they they hit a couple passes and it opened up the, the running game a little bit. It allowed Catron Allen um, on that drive to get a, a little bit more space. It allowed Nick Singleton to get a little yeah. more space. Um, and And like I said earlier, as far as kind of that 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 nervy moment of the game, they never really panicked. It, it, they always it, they internally kind of played it like they always knew they were going to figure this out. And that was kind of what it was. It's kind of what it's been a little bit offensively since Washington got hurt and, and kind of figuring out how the, all these pieces fit together because he was such a key part of it. And it allowed teams to play them defensively a little bit different, knowing that they w- were really going to you know, be even
0: more aggressive at trying to establish the running game. Yeah, I mean, it, I I think a lot of the struggles that the running game had with efficiency because it seemed there were a few moments where uh, Allen and Singleton were able to you know break one here or there, but it seemed like Michigan State just did a really good job: four down linemen, three linebackers who were playing you know leading forward. A little bit, I think is a safe thing to say. And then maybe bring in pressure from somewhere else. It seemed like, like you mentioned, with no Parker Washington, they were really selling out to stop Penn State from uh, Penn State's running game. And they dared Sean Clifford to beat them. And, you know, credit to Allen and Singleton. Eventually they were able to get going. But two things I want to measure with Clifford. I thought this was his best game of the season. I thought he saved his best for last. I think you can point to... Uh, Some other games he played, if you want to say the Minnesota game, I would totally hear that. If you want to say the Purdue game, sure, I'll hear that. But even with 202 yards, I thought this was his best game. And that was because he was able to be the best version of Sean Clifford, which is a guy who gets into a rhythm, is able to avoid mistakes, is able to make some really great throws. That touchdown pass that he threw to Tyler Warren was a seed. And I, like, I could not have been more impressed with that part of his effort. The two things I want to mention with him, one, the way he ended this game was ridiculous. He started at six for 11, not bad. He ended at 19 for 24. He completed all of his final 13 passes. And when Matt, like you and I mentioned, there was a point in this game where it was 21-16. And it seemed like Michigan State was one was one drive away From all the anxiety that can pop up in Happy Valley when things don't go well, popping back up. After that drive, when it was 21 to 16, Penn State 11 plays, 75 yards, scored a touchdown. That was the drive uh, where they motioned out of the T formation and, uh, you know, Mel Tucker decided that calling a timeout there was unnecessary uh, for reasons I don't totally understand. So there's that. And I think that was really important, like we mentioned with the struggles that the running game had, that Clifford was able to have the sort of game where he's throwing it accurately. He's throwing his guys. Like there are times when he's just throwing passes to guys who I thought were covered and he's just putting them in really good spots. And I think that was a really good way for him to go out. But there was one moment in the game in particular that I want to mention, because this is something that I think, uh, I think was a really important moment in the game which was Penn state's up 14 to three and there is a third and two somewhere. Uh, I don't remember uh, exactly where. Give me one second and I'll, fly. there we go. Okay. Penn state uh, it wasn't 14 to three apologies. It was uh, 21 to 17 All right, 21 to 10. Sean Clifford gets sacked. And while he gets sacked on the play, he has the ball pretty loosely in his hand. Oh, wait. No, I do. It, it was 14 to 3. Apologies. Has the ball pretty. Sorry. ESP, for some reason, ESPN says one drive. Uh, there was nine minutes and 42 seconds on every play. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? So 7 15 left in the third quarter, third and two, 14 to three, Penn State. Clifford drops back. Three Michigan State players just swarm him. The ball is just in his hand. And the ball, if it falls out of his hand right there, it's being recovered. Michigan State has the ball on Penn State's like 35. And he was able to hold on to that. And I think it was a really uh, I think that was a big moment in the game. He was able to prevent Penn State from making the kind of backbreaking mistake that Michigan State needed to force them into. And as a result, Penn State was able to go on and win the game. He had a fantastic game. He again, avoided mistakes, did everything that you expect out of Sean Clifford. The downside, didn't see Drew Aller. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. But I thought Clifford, even though uh, he spent a little bit more time on his back than he has in recent weeks of three sacks, I thought he played a fantastic game. Yeah, it's, I think you touched on all of it there. He's
1: um, he, he finished as strong as you can, the 13 or 14 straight passes, um, especially in crunch time there um, when the game w- was in doubt with, with one possession possession. Michigan state, all the momentum. Um, and it it's, he, he's, we got, we know this by now after four years of playing, he, he he very much is what he is. And it, it just felt good. I talked about this with Nick last week. It felt good to see him go out a guy who um, perf- on field performance aside has represented Penn state as well as you can ask any, any player, especially the starting quarterback at Penn state to represent the university and the football program. It felt good to see him get that moment. Um, I hope you, got, everyone, was able to see some of the social media stuff with he and his brother playing catch on the field after yeah. the game, racing down the field. Um, it, you know, on on a team on a sport where it's become more and more, you know, national championship college fl- football or bust. Um, it felt good to see one of those college football kind of moments for a guy that that that's a good college football quarterback. That's 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 kind of what he is as a as a football player. I'm sure he'll get a shot, you know, on his practice squad or something or in a, an NFL camp, but um, to kind of get that, that last big moment on the field, um, you know, a, a, as a, a, a critical cog for a team, it just, it felt good to see him get that moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, the, the one thing that, that the, mo, the entire game missed was a Sean to Liam Clifford touchdown, which, you know, hopefully, hopefully Penn state gets that in the bowl. I like you mentioned that moment where, uh, that moment after the game where the two of them were just playing catch on the field was awesome. Uh like, you know, like you mentioned, this uh this this is becoming the NFL essentially. To see that in that situation was really cool. Um let's see, that there was one oh yeah, Keandre Lambert Smith, uh throwing a touchdown to Theo Johnson. Uh that ruled, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but Clifford, oh yeah, uh, he went up to Clifford after and said, uh you know, and Clifford apparently said to him, I already have Drew breathing down my neck. Now I have to worry about you. So, like, really, really fun. Uh, you know, I was glad they went deep into their bag to get that out. And uh, that was a very funny line from Sean Clifford. But Penn State on the day, 250 passing yards, five touchdowns. We'll hand out game balls in the second. But, Matt, uh, I think it's a good time to pay some bills. What do you think? I'm, I'm wearing the, the bills, if you will. <laughs> yes, of course our podcast sponsored by Homefield Apparel, if you're a college sports fan on the internet, of course you are aware of Homefield Apparel, and the off chance that you have don't know who Homefield Apparel is. Even if you if this is your first time listening to this podcast, if you don't have a Twitter account, whatever, Homefield's a premium collegiate premium collegiate apparel brand based out of the wonderful city of Indianapolis, Indiana. The shirts, as you can see is modeled by Matt right now. They're comfortable, they're unique, they take the time to make sure that the stuff they put on the shirts make you feel a little bit closer to your school or any other school that you might like. I mean, I know uh, our pal uh, Len, who you are uh, aware of, if you are a longtime member of uh, our website's funnel corner of the Internet. He really wants to get a Tulane Green Wave article of clothing. The issue is the bowls tend to have Penn State mocked as playing the two-lane green wave. So uh, you can tweet at Len, and you can tell him your thoughts. Uh, Len would love to hear from you. Uh, if you are interested in getting your hands on some home field apparel merch, there are 15 pieces in their Penn State line. And if you're a new customer, you can use the promo code ROARLIONS, ROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order again, promo code roar lions, roar one word, all uppercase for 15% off of your first order. If you were a new customer, thank you very much to Homefield apparel for sponsoring this edition of the podcast. Let's get talking uh, back to talking about this Penn state team, Penn state's win over Michigan state. Matt, let's hand out some game balls, one on offense, one on defense. Where are you going? Um, I'm going to start on defense because I think it's a guy that's kind of been a little
1: bit unheralded this year. Um, but but it had a great game against his home state team. Kalen King, um, you touched on it earlier. Obviously had the interception um, that really sealed the game before the the last touchdown pass. Four passes defended. Seemed like he was around the ball all game. Probably could have had a couple uh, more interceptions, um, not just on Saturday but throughout the season. It felt good to see him kind of ha- have that big moment late to 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 ice the game. Um, offense. I think I know where you want to go. So I'm going to go with Tyler Warren. Because I thought he made a couple of big plays, obviously the touchdown p- catch. Um, but I, I just, it felt like he was kind of one of those guys that was involved in a lot of stuff, you know, whether it be big blocks, the touchdown catch um, kind of did a, b- a bunch of under the radar things. And I think a guy that's kind of been lost in the shuffle at tight end a little bit this, or this year with the emergence of Theo Johnson and Brenton strange um, being bigger factors in the passing game. I thought Tyler Warren
0: had a really good game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I I, I absolutely agree on, uh, on on defense. I thought Kalen King was just out of his mind, and he was for how good Abdul Carter is. And I think Abdul Carter is a, a load of a football player. Uh, I thought Kalen King was the best player Penn State had in uh, in that football game on that side of the football, and you know it makes you think. What can he do in his second year as a starter, third year as the program? He has the potential to be really, really fun, really, really special. He already is really, really fun really, really special. And then, yeah, offense, I have to give it to Sean Clifford. I thought Clifford had, again, his best game of the season, just seemed in total control of everything at all points in the game. And, like, that's all you can really ask for out of him. So give it to the two of them. Um you know, and then special shout out to everyone who played their last game in Beaver Stadium, whether that's Clifford, whether that's Jire Brown, PJ uh, anyone along, anyone on either side of the football, even if it's a guy who might go to the NFL, shout out to all of them. I, it's been a really rough couple of years for Penn State football. Uh, we were going to do a quick recap of just our general thoughts on how this season went. But like I mentioned, we need further offseason content. So we'll save that for a little bit farther down the road uh, while we're trying to kill time before Penn state's bowl game. But uh, Matt, the senior class generally it's been through some weird stuff during it's uh, between four. And in the case of Sean Clifford and Jonathan Sutherland, 11 years in happy Valley Uh, really glad to see them go out the way they did. Cause I think they, they absolutely deserve to go out with a win.
1: Yeah. I think it's all those guys that have been here, you know, you know, the guys that that are in their fourth year um, started out with a ten win season, eleven win season with the Cotton Bowl championship, tons of momentum going to the off season, and then you know that once in a generation, once in a century global pandemic thing happens, and just all the momentum of the program is is crushed, and the struggles on the field have been have been well documented. Um, probably wasn't the easiest time to to decide if you wanted to stay in Happy Valley or not with. Um, you know opportunities for a lot of those guys elsewhere, but credit to them for um, you know sticking it out and and really I think being the whether they're they're key players on the field or key guys in the locker room. I hit on it earlier, but the um the the culture of the program is kind of back to where it was. Three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, when this thing was really rolling and it felt like James Franklin had you know kind of the the world at his fingertips um, as far as you know what Penn State football was about to become. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys stuck through it, and they' have been such a key part of of maintaining I think what what the Penn State football program wants to be in this this iteration with James Franklin once wants, wants the Penn State football program to be. Um, which has led to a whole lot of success in his gosh, eight years now at the helm of this thing. Um, but it's you know, you mentioned the guys, Jair Brown, PJ Mustafer, that that have been on the field big names for a long time. But there's so many guys that that, you know, come in 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 garbage time, late in games, when the when the games, you know, been decided that are um there's deserves some credit too. And I'm not even going to try and name names, but guys, I think of a guy like Dom DeLuca or Devon Ellis Mm -hmm. um, that have, have, you know, played a little bit this year, um, but have either been passed in the depth chart or just never really progressed up it. Um, They've been a key part of this. You know, they were here during the good and the bad. And now they're, they're here during this, this 10 win season as well. And in a return to a new Year's six game, hopefully. And I think what, you know, we we talked about it a little bit earlier, but where we see this going in t- the next couple of seasons with the talent that's here and, and the momentum again, um, those guys are the guys that established it, and I hope that um, that we don't forget that when they're not here, you know, getting that those, those accolades and that recognition um, on game days because it's it's a cliche, but they're they're the guys that that built this and and set this program up for for the success. I, we all expect and we all hope for the next couple seasons.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, uh, we, we entered this season completely unsure of what Penn state was going to be. And the number of times you've heard people talk about the leadership on this team, guys like Sean Clifford, guys like PJ Mustafer, guys like Jire Brown, all those sorts of dudes and just what they have meant to this version of Penn State football, you know, you you tip your cat to, the, cat to them, clap for them, you do whatever. But it's been a really tough couple of years. Uh, like you mentioned, that 2019 team, it felt like that was the start of, you know, 2020 is going to come around and Penn State football is going to be a team that you're not going to want to mess with. Once in the generation global pandemic happens, the best player on both sides of the football have to leave the team. One or two breaks don't go their way earlier in the season, and it just snowballs and snowballs. Rough year. Following year, we knew that team had issues. The two biggest issues that team had kind of ran into one another in that Iowa game. With the two leaders on both sides of the football going down and having their seasons end. Those guys, as much as anyone, deserve this season. I'm really glad they were able to get it. I was really glad they were able to get it in the manner that they did. You know, Penn State is going to end this season, almost, you know, barring something really embarrassing happening in the bowl game, as a top 10 team this year. And I don't think, I think even the most optimistic thoughts on what Penn State could achieve. Didn't have them being a top 10 team by the time the season ended. So shout out to them for what they accomplished season. Again, we will talk a little bit more uh, about what they, uh, about just looking back in the season future pods before we go, Matt, this is probably the final, you know, we might've one or two other things up our sleeve, this is probably the last episode of the podcast we are going to do before we figure out what bowl game Penn State is going to. CBS in its projection has Penn State going to the Cotton Bowl to take on Tulane. ESPN, uh, both of uh, the there's Kyle Bonagura and Mark Schlebaugh, have the exact same thing. So what are you thinking? Are you also feeling a Penn State trip to the Cotton Bowl, uh, which would mean Penn State's going back to the last New year's last Yeah. Last new Year's six bowl game that it played, or do you, uh, you know, I know other Penn state fans. We know I am not among them, have really been invested in trying to map out a path to a specific bowl game here or there. Do you think that Penn state in say the Rose bowl is something that you feel pretty good about? I think if,
1: if, if I had to put money on it, um, I would certainly bet on the cotton bowl just because that, that is certainly the most likely scenario. Um, regardless of, of how things play out on Saturday with championship games and playoff bids and things like that. Um, the orange bowl and the Rose bowl are the two other ones that I think are, are possibilities. Um, and the, if, if I had to, if I had to pick one of those two, this is the, the old big 10 fan growing up in in Ohio state country in Columbus. Um, it's that, this is that part of me is talking if, if you can go to the Rose bowl, that's a good year. I mean, I, yeah. you know, j- just almost without question. And I think, um, the, the sports illustrated guys have kind of alluded to the possibility because Ohio state's been there the two of the last four years played Utah last year. Um, and regardless of, of how things play out with, um, with playoff bids and whatnot, that there might be a possibility that the Rose Bowl folks and the Orange Bowl folks and the Cotton Bowl folks might be do a little backroom talking to try and avoid having repeat trips and repeat matchups. So if Utah knocks off USC, that, that might put Ohio State back into the playoff, which kind of makes all that backroom dealing a moot point. But regardless of how it plays out, I think there's a possibility they end up there, um, which would be really cool. I think it would be a really cool way for a guy like Sean Clifford to end his college career. Um, yeah. Hopefully, a chance to atone for—not um, atone for, but 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 finish on the right side of a great game after that 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 all timer against USC a couple years ago. Um, selfishly, that would be pretty cool because I think that's the one place we would consider going to. Yeah. Um, and then I I think the Orange Bowl would be fun because I think you if if favorites play out, I think that's probably a matchup with Clemson, which I think. Um, would be a fascinating game because I, I think Clemson has certainly taken a, a step or two back from where they've been. Um, but it's a chance to measure yourself against one of those teams that's been where you want to get to for the better part of the last six or seven years. And even though they're not what they've been during those elite seasons, um, a, a, a win over Clemson and ACC champion would, would certainly be um, be an, an entertaining matchup. And it's a place Penn state hasn't been, I don't think since the Florida state game back in uh, after the Oh five season. So yeah. a place where, where Penn state fans haven't been in, in quite a while and, and Miami uh, for new years always sounds fun as well. But like I said, I, th- I think the cotton bowl is probably most likely just based on different bowl tie-ins and the decisions that typically get made. And if things kind of play out on Saturday, like we expect with um, championship games and, and who ends up with playoff spots, it's probably a, a cotton bowl game against Tulane, which in a lot of ways feels like a kind of fitting end to a season where you're, you know, t- I said on Saturday, 10 wins is never anything that you're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take for granted based on what I saw as a student uh, for four mm-hmm. years, but kind of that, that missed opportunity. Tulane's a great team, but it's, so- I don't know if it's officially up, but it sounds like Willie Fritz is going to be um, leaving to take another job. Um, I think he was linked to the Georgia tech job. Um, so it feels like, you, you, you want to cap that year, that 10 win year with a game against one of those big name um, blue blood types of teams. And um, you certainly don't turn down a chance to play in a year six
0: game. But um, I, I guess we'll see how things play out. Yeah, I mean, Orange Bowl uh, tie ins their ACC versus a team from the SEC, the Big Ten or Notre Dame. Uh, the Rose Bowls, the Big Ten versus the Pac-12. Of course, the uh, thing that makes the Rose Bowl so tricky this year is that uh, the Big Ten champion uh, is almost certainly going to be Michigan. If if Purdue beats Michigan, that makes their life a lot easier. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. So uh, the Big Ten champion is going to be heading into the playoff. There's there's a possibility that uh, with a couple of upsets happening elsewhere in the world of Uh, conference championship week. There are two Big Ten teams making into the playoff with Ohio State sneaking into that four seed. So if that happens, that changes the calculus altogether because at that point, Penn State's the best Big Ten team that isn't in the playoff, and you could just justify taking Penn State there without having to do like you mentioned, Matt, all the backroom wheeling and dealing. But yeah. Uh, I would get banned from Twitter if Penn State played Dabo Swinney in a bowl game, uh, (laughs) because I don't like him. Uh, And I would tweet things that would probably get evangelical Christians very mad at me. Uh, But yeah, like you mentioned, Cotton Bowl against Tulane, uh, that seems to be the direction in which the wind is blowing. Uh, It would be really cool uh, if Penn State played in the Cotton Bowl, I think, because that was the with that being the last year, six game, the way that, you know, and it happened so long ago uh, and so many things have happened in Penn state football into the world since then. But the way that I felt after that Memphis game, it felt to me like Penn state was setting the t- stage for, we're going into 2020 with a quarterback in Sean Clifford had a really good year. We are going into 2020 with a guy on defense in Micah Parsons who, uh, could be a Heisman Trophy finalist and a running back in Journey Brown who finished the year so strong that you can't help but think he's going to do something special. Obviously, it didn't come to fruition. It would be a really, I think it would be a really nice kind of full circle moment for Sean Clifford to be able to end there. Uh, Matt, are you one of those people who uh, you don't like when Penn State, a team like Penn State plays, or you, you don't like when Penn State plays the group of five team? Uh, because, you know, the, the logic is you get, if you win, you're supposed to, don't really get anything from that. If you lose, it's embarrassing because you shouldn't lose to a power five team, a group of five team.
1: I, I think at least from a, from a narrative perspective, which feels like oh, that's half of what college football is anymore. Like you said, you, you can't win, you know, you win, you're supposed to, you lose. Oh my God, you lost to this you know team that has a budget, a third of what yours is um, and talent that is, you know, not, not measured in the same, you know, same chart as what yours is. It, but I think from a, a, just a conversation standpoint, it just feels like, especially for a team like Penn state that doesn't have that, that quote unquote signature win this year, because of just the way the schedule played out and where teams on the schedule ended up from a um, success standpoint, that this bowl game feels like the opportunity to to get that win. Um, Cause you're not going to be playing one of those top four or five teams in the country, of course, Um so it's an opportunity to, to get that win that has kind of eluded you all season and look at me, you know, Tulane is, is no slouch. It would be a great win. Um, Yeah, they're, they're a great team. Um, But it feels like, you know, when you go back and you look at the schedule after the season, the win against Tulane is you being your big win just doesn't kind of get the juices flowing. And it, just a win against the Clemson or a Utah or a Washington or North Carolina just feels like it gives you that bigger springboard into the off season, into the next season from a, an outside perspective, which at the end of the day is utterly meaningless, mm-hmm. but that that's kind of where my mindset is, is it would be nice to see this group that has had a really good season that I think um, is one of the seven or eight best teams in the country to get that win, that kind of, confirms confirms that for us as fans confirms that to them confirms that for the big picture when you go out on the road recruiting and trying to bring kids in through the transfer portal and that sort of thing
0: yeah intoaine mean, uh number 28 team in the country in sp plus uh according to sp plus penn state will be favored over them by about 10 points in that game uh team they they beat kansas state in manhattan Uh, Kansas state is going to play TCU for a uh, big 12 title this weekend. So I, I, I get the, that stance, but I'm just of the belief that when I look back on this season, I want, you know, Penn state being able to say, uh, Penn state being able to say they won 11 games would be pretty sick. Like I would just be very happy with a 10 win or an 11 win Penn state season, especially considering the expectations I had coming into this year. So uh, yeah, give me however it happens. If Penn state were uh, to play Tulane and beat them 56 to nothing, I'd be very happy. If Penn state were to go to the Rose bowl, uh, get a little revenge on Michael Penix and beat Washington, I'd also be very happy. So uh, yeah, there's all that man. Any, any final things you want to say before I wrap up the pod? No, I think it's. Um, I'll try
1: and keep this brief, but I think this has been a, a great season for Penn State, considering where they were three year, three months ago, and all these questions. They didn't answer all of them. They answered a lot of them, and I. It just feels like the the health of the program was somewhat in question. You know, this time three months ago, before the Purdue game, and I think if you talk to any rational Penn State fan or anyone who covers this sport for a living they're going to tell you that you know Penn State's in a really good spot which is not something we we were saying going into the season and certainly not this time a year ago to, to see i think the the work that everyone in the program has done to get them back to where they are right now and where they're set up to go the next few years um is really good to see you know just as a as a fan um the the, the team you cheer for um stuck with their plan and got to where got back pointed in the right direction in a really positive way.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been a, it it was a much better season than I anticipated. Uh, you know, when your only losses are to two of the five best teams in college football, you know, you don't love that. Uh, it kind of stinks. Uh, but, you know, generally, gen- generally pretty happy with things, especially because I thought this was an eight-win football team. But yeah, we'll have plenty of off-season content coming for all of you in the coming days and weeks. We'll have reaction to future decisions made by Penn State players to potentially return or go to the NFL. Any other big news that might come through the Penn State Twitterverse? And of course, we got ourselves a bowl game coming up, so we'll be talking about that. We want to thank everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast as always make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast you use an apple podcast please go leave us a five-star review if you're using spotify anything else go leave us a five-star go give us a five-star rating over there please follow us over on our twitter account at rlr blog uh head over to youtube hop into the youtube comment sections talk about penn state football there have some fun there might as well have some fun we all die someday, and of course, thank you very much to our sponsor, Homefield Apparel, for sponsoring this podcast. Again, use the promo code Roar Roar, one word, all uppercase, for fifteen percent off of your first order if you are a new customer. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. From Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. All right, and now I'm get to wait so- Something went wrong stopping. Please reload and try again. What the hell does that mean?
1: Mine still says recording.
0: I hit the stop button, it says we're still recording. All right, so I'll make another. I'm going to hit uh, refresh and see what happens. Okay, all
1: right, this will be fun. I Have fun did. with this, Nick.